we were born in war and we grew in war in South Sudan. It was in dawn at four o'clock when the rebels came and attacked a village. And that's when I started to, to hear the sounds of a gun. So we had to flee the village and we went to the caves. So we stayed in the caves having nothing to eat. So from that time, I could know that life wasn't a good thing at all. There was nothing to eat and we could suffer as kids. Even I lost my brother when he was young in the war. Because Christ is, is the answer, I can forgive the people that have inflicted the pain in my life. Those who took the arms and fought my people and killed my people, I still have an obligation to forgive them. Today, on the Edge of Adventure podcast, we go to the war-torn nation of South Sudan for the story of pain, compassion, and forgiveness. The story of those who work tirelessly for an organization called Lift Up the Vulnerable. They do so many things to serve the people in this region. In particular, they work to prevent human trafficking and the abuse of the defenseless. I hope you'll join me now as we get to know Audrey Moore, Peter Lamago, and Ezekiel Ayub. You definitely don't want to miss their stories today, right here on The Edge of Adventure. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is The Edge of Adventure podcast. Audrey Moore from Lift Up the Vulnerable, joining us today for the Edge of Adventure podcast. Audrey, thanks for joining us for the show. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you, Adam. Really looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this one too. This one's going to be a very special broadcast and a very special interview and conversation. We're going to get to know Audrey. We're going to get to know Lift Up the Vulnerable. But we also have a very special surprise for you a little later on in the broadcast. So be sure you stay tuned for that. We're going to have some special guests joining us in just a few minutes. But first, I want to get to know Lift Up the Vulnerable, Audrey. Give us the overview for someone perhaps who is not familiar with Lift Up the Vulnerable. Where do you work and who do you help? So Lift Up the Vulnerable is a mission organization that is preventing human trafficking. And we specifically seek to prevent the trafficking and oppression of vulnerable children and women living in conflict zones where there's little to no help, uh, little to no infrastructure for them to get necessary aid or assistance. And so our overall goal, our, our core mission and core belief is to empower vulnerable children and women to be change makers in their countries. And that brings us to conflict zones like Sudan and South Sudan, who are marked by decades of violence and extreme poverty. So we're specifically working in those countries because 
they have been identified as really high rates of human trafficking because of the conflict and because of the extreme poverty. So we're in the continent of Africa here. Help those of us get an image you know, in our mind where these countries are. And to clarify, we're talking about two separate countries. One of them is Sudan and the other one is South Sudan. So that's not the same country. Those are two distinct nations, right? That's correct. So when I started working in South Sudan, it was actually one nation. South Sudan, the Republic of South Sudan, is one of the newest nations in our world. It was formed in 2011. But before that, Sudan and South Sudan were one nation right under Egypt. Most people know where Egypt is. And so it's Egypt and then Sudan. And Sudan is one of the largest countries on the continent of Africa when it was one nation. And for scale, when it was one nation, it was about three times the size of Texas. So a very, very large geographical region, lots of diversity, mostly in the Sahara Desert. But as you get further and further south, there's a lot of lush agriculture opportunity and lots of just opportunity for flourishing, except for the fact that there has been um, the longest running civil war on the continent of Africa between these two nations. And so for five decades, over five decades now, there's just been a total destruction of infrastructure and uh, loss of lives. A lot of people, a lot of children and women and vulnerable communities have fled and become refugees. So a lot of refugee population from South Sudan. You talk about conflicts. Give us an idea of what, what kind of conflict are we talking about and what does that mean to the population on the ground? In 2005, there was a peace agreement signed between the Northern government and the South. And up until that point, there was really genocide, war and genocide that was being enacted by the Northern government in Sudan out of Khartoum. And many of Many of your listeners might be familiar with Omar al-Bashir, the former president who's recently been in the news. He's been wanted for war crimes for many years, and he's he was arrested this past, uh, I guess, last year or early this year. And so there's been a whole change in regime or a beginning of a whole change in regime in Sudan, uh, a lot of civilian protesting and change in the government structure there. But stepping back some more historically, the northern government for decades upon decades have been enacting war and the south, the Sudan people are indigenous and they have been the ones to lead the way to combat these invaders because the northern government has really through colonization, raiding and pillaging and uh, setting forth militia groups to take over all of Sudan. So it's been a conflict of this, who's in charge, the indigenous people who want their rights to their land versus invading regimes and colonization. For so many of us around the world, that is not something that we can instinctively identify with. That's not mm -hmm. our experience. But so many people around the world have lived under such conditions. And, and I understand that those are the kinds of things that create great vulnerability right, for the population. And in particular, as I know you've mentioned before, for the women and children in particular. So yeah. let's, let's talk about what your vision as CEO for Lift Up the Vulnerable, what it is, what your vision is. And if we were to go to your website, we would see that the organization likes this 
description of, of itself, transforming the world by empowering the most vulnerable. What do you mean by that? And how do you make that kind of transformation? So Lift Up the Vulnerable, the way that we work is we support an indigenously directed anti-human trafficking network. We have three locations where we've been uh, working with indigenous leaders who have a heart and a passion to see their communities transformed through generational and development change. When we work with our indigenous partners and our anti-trafficking network, we, we focus on a holistic empowerment model that prevents trafficking, so that's our focus, prevention of trafficking. And to do so, we have to look at the root causes of why children and women are vulnerable in those unique communities. And it's even though war has been consistent between the North and South or violence, because there, there has been some peace now in the South of Sudan, but they're war-torn nations. So violence and war have marked the land, but there are other factors in each kind of tribe and each community that we're working in that are causal for why vulnerable people in those communities are trafficked. And so we are, our holistic empowerment model really looks at what does prevention look like in this context and what does empowerment look like in this context? So we provide protection, education, and economic development. And those are really the three key ways for prevention of human trafficking and elimination of the exploitation of vulnerabilities. Prevention, I mean, protection rather, is can be housing, it can be medical care, can be simply drilling wells. We do all those things, but it's the core thing of what, how do we help a vulnerable child in particular at their most urgent need? What is it, what does care look like for them to help reduce their vulnerabilities? We actually educate more than we house, more children than we house, because education is such a, a need in the country. Only 20% of the nation are literate. And so the war, again, the war has just devastated educational infrastructure of all sorts. And so we're looking to build up a new generation of change agents through this protection, education, and an economic empowerment model. Audrey, without going into specific details or necessarily getting graphic in, in the description, I I want you to help us understand what this means when we talk about human trafficking. It's a term that many people hear, and I'm not convinced that it necessarily gets through to us all the time when we think about the reality of human yeah. trafficking. What does that mean? Help us understand what, what are we talking about here when we say human trafficking? Yeah, so human trafficking at its core is slavery, modern day slavery. And another way to that it manifests itself is through the exploitation of vulnerabilities. The exploitation of vulnerabilities can really happen in a lot of different ways. In Sudan and South Sudan, children and women are trafficked through being child soldiers labor trafficking, and also prostitution and sex trafficking. So those are the, 
the main ways, labor trafficking is really wide and it's probably the largest form of global human trafficking, even though it's less talked about and it's really hard to get the data points for it. But human trafficking organizations around the world will say that in reality, we hear mostly about sex trafficking, but uh, labor trafficking is more prevalent. So in Su Sudan and South Sudan, that can be by using children for mining, gold, and natural resources, cattle keeping, anything where there is force, fraud, or coercion, where humans are exploited for another person's gain. When did you first decide this was something that you needed to be involved with? When did you realize this was a part of your own life's calling? I would say it's a journey that I would never have chosen, as most journeys go, right? That you stumble upon the things that you learn, and then you have to struggle and wrestle with, what do I do now? When I graduated from university many, many moons ago, I went overseas as a missionary, and I lived in Belgium and was working with international students and refugees throughout Europe but I was stationed in Belgium. And I had gotten involved with volunteering at a children's home. I was a part of a, a mission organization at that time as a, as a board member volunteer and was staying at a home in Portugal for orphans. There was a very small home, about 19 children were living there. Most of them were from Africa, um, but they were staying at this, this home that needed construction work done. And so, uh, I had teams from my church and my community back in Belgium come and for short weeks participate in the building project and other teams came from Alabama, all over the world, people were coming to help for just for short term trips to do uh, rehabilitation and a building project at this home. And by staying there and seeing the ins and outs, learning, really getting to know what was happening at the home, it was uncovered that the children there were being used for pornography and prostitution. This was all the way back in 2003. And at the time, human trafficking wasn't a term I was familiar with, and it wasn't really being widely discussed. It, it was those two words put together weren't something on the, the culture's radar. And it took about two years of legal action to shut down that home and rescue those children. And it became, you know, my life's call because of my, my, both my passion for the children and my anger that, and sadness that injustice, even though proven could last so long, though, unfortunately that's the way it is. Um, but at the time I didn't realize that, that, Injustice can continue, even though there's evidence, even though there's lots of material pointing to uh, the truth. And so what really then became my focus and the focus of a group, a small group of people that I was with at the time was how do we focus on prevention of human trafficking? How do we stop trafficking before these children and anyone that is exploited and the trauma that they have to experience of being exploited in that way. How do we get on the front end and stop stop it before it begins? And so it began a long kind of journey, winding journey of exploring where in the world 
was human trafficking happening and there weren't resources, there weren't groups there, there weren't opportunities for prevention to take place. And so eventually a ministry partner recommended that we go to Sudan because as a war zone, people weren't going there. It was hard to get aid, even just physically, it was hard to go in and out. And it began the journey of finding our first indigenous director. And in 2005, his name is James Lualatak, and he started New Life Ministry and really growing and expanding with his help from there. You are listening and watching the Edge of Adventure podcast. My guest today is Audrey Moore. She's the CEO at Lift Up the Vulnerable. We're getting to know a bit about that wonderful organization, and I hope you'll stick around because we've got some really wonderful items for you coming your way in just a couple of minutes. We actually are going to have a couple of your friends and colleagues join us from Africa. We're connecting them online here momentarily, so they'll be joining us in just a couple of minutes. So we'll introduce them once we get them online. However, in the meantime, what I would love to hear from you, give me a snapshot of your heart for the people of Sudan, South Sudan, that part of Africa, that the people that you love so much. Tell me about them and tell me about your love for them. Yeah, my very first trip to South Sudan was in 2006, and it was at the height of the Darfur genocide. And I was on a, a small team that went there, and I was going to lead art therapy, Bible lessons, and do just different activities, games, just something to engage with the students at New Life Ministry. There were under 200 children at the time, and they were learning under the trees. They didn't have proper schools yet, and we were growing slowly, slowly an infrastructure there. And when I went and we did, I asked them to focus on courage and what does courage mean to them? And they would draw pictures of, they could freeform. It, there was no guidance other than draw me what courage means to you. And I saw pictures of children, people with machine guns and their family getting slaughtered. I saw pictures of huts where th there was a little arrow and a picture of a boy inside and the hut was on fire. And it transformed my world, I would say, because my world is of American safe privilege. <laughs> and I wanted to do whatever I could to stand with, support, and encourage and really mobilize the world for the good of these children who had suffered so much. What could my life do for them? You know, I didn't come to transform their lives. Our lives are connected and we're transforming one another. So we're about the redemption and reconciliation of one another's lives. And that's how our intersection continues to rub on me, grow me. Uh, I have so much to learn. I'm a novice and they're, they're the people, my, my colleagues, they're helping me learn about what true restoration and reconciliation in these war-torn nations looks like, what true empowerment looks like. And to me, that's a worthy calling, a worthy life lesson. What keeps you inspired, Audrey? I mean, this is obviously the kind of thing that means a great deal to you. You could be doing a lot of other things with your time. What is it that inspires you 
to be a part of this remarkable effort in South Sudan and, and Sudan, helping these wonderful people there. Yeah, my colleagues inspire me. These children that you're seeing their faces of inspire me. My colleagues, especially the leaders of the Anti-Human Trafficking Network and their staff, they have committed their whole lives to seeing transformation of war-torn nations into a place where peacemakers dwell. You know, these are the next generation of peacemakers. And I lean into their strength because they have a lot of vision and they have a lot of courage and a lot of passion. And then seeing these little lives transformed into, we now have students that are graduating university this year. So there's a whole circle of transformation that's taking place that we celebrate. It couldn't have happened without all of our, all of us doing our little piece. So Audrey, now we're going to patch in a couple great friends of yours and colleagues. They're joining us actually from Africa. So let me go ahead and patch those guys into the conversation. And then I'm going to actually ask you to introduce them to the audience. Great. Joining us live from Africa, right here and right now, Peter and Ezekiel, welcome to the program. Guys, it's great to see you. Thank you. It's great to see you. (laughs) Thank you for joining the show. I have heard so much about you talking with Audrey even prior to today's broadcast. She's very proud of you guys, and I'm going to actually ask her to introduce both of you for the sake of the audience so the audience gets to know who you are and your different roles in the organization Lift Up the Vulnerable. So, Audrey, with that, I'll toss it over to you. Yeah, thank you so much. I am so delighted to share this space with Peter and Ezekiel. They both are Indigenous directors. Peter is the Indigenous director of Hope for South Sudan, our partner organization along the border of Uganda. And Ezekiel is the Indigenous director of Our Father's Cleft, which is in the Nuba Mountains of Sudan, just along the Sudan-South Sudan border. And they both have been faithfully, really since they were children, they have both had a vision for something more and living a life with purpose and have just taken the faithful steps to follow that course and both have become teachers and then later directors of these ministries standing for the most vulnerable in their specific communities where they are from. So let me start then with Peter. I'll start and ask you, Peter, tell me about Lift Up the Vulnerable. What is it and why is it so important for these days? Yeah, uh, thank you, Adam and and the listeners. Yeah, I want to tell about uh, uh, Lift Up the Vulnerable. Uh, is a faith-based Christian organization that is helping the vulnerable children so that they can have a future. So Lift Up the Vulnerable is a working in partnership with us in South Sudan to lift up the vulnerable children, the suffering children in the war-torn area in, uh, in South Sudan. And Ezekiel, also want to welcome you to the program. Ezekiel, what is life like for the people that you are helping? Mm, thank you so much, uh, 
to have this opportunity to share about the people I lived at uh, our father's clinic. Um, people in Nuba Mountains or in Sudan, especially in Nuba Mountains, their life is not easy. The, life, the people went through hardship. Uh, they went through intensive oppression all this time. It, it took them uh, years, I mean decades, since the colonial rule left out and came in the regime and they're still under oppression. So the life of the people is not easy. People are still suffering uh, hardship from trafficking. And most of the children are vulnerable due to the uh, war that had happened. And it, that has not yet stopped in Sudan, uh, in Nuba Mountains specifically. Peter, I have heard that many of the people in this area have suffered and have been suffering due to bombardments, military activity, bombs being dropped and that sort of thing. Describe that for the audience. What is that like and what is the effect that that is having on the people there? Yeah, it's really very tough for us even to explain how people are suffering because of the consistent wars uh, fought right from the beginning, just after independence of of Sudan, and that was war in the, in the south, which was during Anyanya one, 1955, which of course in my area, it was the area where there was a mutiny, which was called Torit Mutiny. So people suffered a lot, and children do not have access to education. Uh, children do not have life like other countries uh, experience life, but we never had any good life, right? The time we were born in war and we grew in war and we learned in war and we even fled the country uh, to move to different locations to look for education. So people do not have the, the rights of life like other places in the world where there's tranquility, where there's peace. So they can have access to better education they can have access to drink good drinking water and all the necessity for life. But because of wars, we were denied of all those necessities. We do not have a good life. Even as we grow as uh, adults, we do not grow in the right way. We grew with, with the problems. We grew with a lot of anxieties. We grew with a lot of trauma. So this is the extent, and this is just like a tip of, a, of an iceberg. So we have deep things in our hearts that we, we felt when we went through the wars. If I have to explain all, it will create a lot of emotion and make me reflect of how I suffered as a small boy in the, in the wars. Ezekiel, this question for you, knowing that the division of Lift Up the Vulnerable that you work with is called or goes by the name Our Father's Cleft. Why does it have that name and what's the significance of it? This name is given. It is a, a unique name and uh, it is uh, because uh, they 
came to rescue us in a very terrible time when the bombs were on our, on our hubs, when our houses were destroyed, when our children fled to uh, refugee camps, when uh, uh, people in Nuba Mountains' houses were destroyed and uh, the small children, parents died, others were taken away and um, they, they did not know where to go. And then we established, our fathers cleft in the place to cleft to the children who are left, who are vulnerable, who don't have houses, who don't have food, yet uh, lift up the vulnerable, could uh, shelter them and cause them, could provide them with medicine, food. And in, in fact, it, it has protected them. It, has, it became uh, like a, a hope for them. Our father's cleft for them is a protection, uh, acts like the heart of the father, acts like a hope for the, the children of Nuba. A very, very special edition of the Edge of Adventure podcast today. We have on the program Audrey Moore joining us from headquarters here in the United States from Lift Up the Vulnerable. You can find out more about their organization at liftupthevulnerable.org. But also joining us today, live and in person, all the way from Africa right now, we have Peter and Ezekiel, both who are on the line with us. We're learning firsthand from their leadership what Lift Up the Vulnerable is about, what they do, why they do what they do, and the heart behind it all. Peter, as you mentioned a minute ago, you it was a tough question regarding what is life like and what is the suffering really like and what do the conflicts and the bombardments and the kinds of struggles and conflict that's been going on for years, how does that affect the people on the ground? I know for you, it affected you and it affected you at a very early age. I know that you have a very remarkable story. I know it is one of, of much pain, and it is one of also much grace and much hope. Tell us, Peter, about your story when you were a, a young child and where the reality of all of this first became real to you. Yeah, thank you. As I said earlier on, that uh, we were born in war and we grew in war. So we can have a story to tell of the experiences that we went through when war was going um, in South Sudan. I grew up in a, a little village and in that village, I, I didn't know uh, that things could turn in the way that I was seeing. So it was in 1987 in dawn at four o'clock when the rebels came and attacked a village, attacked a village, and that's when I started to, to hear the sounds of a gun. So for the rest of my life, when I was young, I didn't hear a sound of a gun. It was like beating of drums of different sizes, of different sounds. So we had to flee the village and went to the caves. So we stayed in the caves for a whole day having nothing to eat. We only survive on fruits from the forest. It was around July, 1987. So from that time, I could know that life wasn't a good thing at all. 
So we had to go a distance far away from our village and we had to go to the caves. We went with our family and my mother and my father and my brothers. So went to the mountain. There was nothing to eat completely. And we could suffer as kids. Even I lost my brother when he was young in the war. We had to, we had to just uh, comfort ourselves and we went eating the, the fruits, eating the, the tubers from the forest. So we continued with that kind of life and my parents struggled to dig and get some food. So 1989, so that was time when I realized there could be a purpose in my life. So I had to look away of maybe getting a school. So I came down to where the rebels were and I started joining school with the rest of the children. So I could even go without cloth. I was not having anything at all. So I could just go without shame. I went, but good enough, it was, uh, it was encouraging for me because I could pass examinations. And then I see that there's a purpose within me. So in 1990, I had to flee uh, the country. I fled to Uganda. I walked for three days uh, and that is without food. We just drink water and we had to go to Uganda. So that's when I was rescued by UN Shara, United Nations Agency, and took us to the camp. And that's where I learned uh, in the school. I started learning from there without my parents. So I had already left my parents in, in Sudan by then. So I was alone. So I had to study there with the very dire conditions. So, but I persevered until I finished my high school. When I finished my high school, that is when I, I started recalling the suffering of people back home. So I came, I returned home, and I started now volunteering to teach the little children because I know the importance of education. So, and that is when I started realizing that God had been working in my life to prepare me even through all the problems that are happening, but he saved my life and I till I was able to get, to get a bit of education that I can come and impart it to, to the children who are, who are left behind. So, and that is how life was in my early age. A remarkable story today on the Edge of Adventure podcast. Peter Lamago joining us again from Africa. And this is a very, very special edition. We actually have three guests today. We've been getting to know Audrey Moore. She's the CEO, getting to know her and her heart for the people, but also for her colleagues and partners that are living on the ground there in this part of Africa doing such amazing work, like these two gentlemen that we have on there. So Peter Lamago, thanks for sharing a little bit about your story. I want to get Ezekiel Ayub back on here to tell us a little about what his life was like from childhood it helps us as the as the audience, as maybe people who grew up with struggles that were nothing like this. We grew up with so much that is so good, and we take so many things for granted as a result. But to watch you guys and to hear about your stories and to see your heart and to see how you have turned that pain into a remarkable purpose, it is truly, truly 
inspiring. So let me ask now here on the line from Lift Up the Vulnerable, let me ask Ezekiel Ayub to tell us about his childhood and the things that he learned from it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to tell about my life uh, or my childhood life. I was born in Apnail, uh, but again, I came when I was small at the age of uh, two months uh, after I was born in Apnail. And um, I came back to Nuba Mountains uh, together with my dad. As I grew up then, I, I reached uh, four to five years old. This is when war broke out in Nuba Mountains in, in 1987. And it was clearly uh, this civil war. This is when uh, I could uh, feel that there is conflict. My area was the first area that was uh, actually being attacked by the North, North Sudan militia who are uh, recruited by the Khartoum government to come and, and destroy people in Nuba Mountains. I came in, in Nuba Mountains as a child. I could face that uh, situation. And our children, young children, young women, and everyone in that village, whoever is God, is being taken by the militia who come to destroy the houses, burn everything. And of course, our houses are touched by grass. And they, when they come, they burn everything. They leave us without any shelter. When they come to, to attack us, we run to the, to the caves because that was the only hiding where we take the refuge only. And, and that's where we get the protection. I remember in 1987, they attacked our, our village and uh, they could burn everything. And it was during the harvest time. They raided everything. They burned all our food and they left us with nothing. We only ran to the hiding and no food, nothing. We could stay there for two days in the cave. Uh, some of our children whom we stayed to, uh, together in the caves could die because we, we were to leak and no water, nothing. Some of the younger children who are, uh, who are with us would die. In 1987, um, I could witness uh, um, my own relative being shot and been thrown in the, in the, in the fire of the, the house that they lived. It was thrown and that thing actually caused something in my heart. And my heart, I, I was really, uh, I felt tense. I grew up with bitterness. After the war became so intensive, many people uh, are displaced from their locations or even us we were displaced. So we had to go to the Eastern Sudan when I was five to six years old. And that's where I could get my learning and education in Eastern Sudan. And to make matter worse, I had to be together with uh, the same fellows and the same friends who could come and attack us. And that thing also could create uh, that bitterness in my heart. After I completed secondary school, this is when also we were trained as soldiers. We, we did national service, trained as soldiers, and uh, you are trained to go for war and to fight your own brothers. The same people whom we were uh, uh, together in, in the in the caves, and then you come to finish them. I was trained, but luckily enough, the peace, the ceasefire that happened 2001, and th this is when I came to Nuba. I came with a purpose of what I left behind, of the people whom I left in the cave, those who could not get the education for many years, those who could not get food, those who could not get peace, never experienced anything, never experienced life like other children. I felt passion for them. 
as I came to Nuba, I, I could get my way again after volunteering in Nuba Mountains. I, I got away uh, to South Sudan again for teacher training. That's where I, I got my first uh, certificate to come back to Nuba Mountains, continue the life of education with the people. And especially, my heart was so much on the vulnerable, on the children who are trafficked, because some of these children during this war were taken to head the cattle to look after goats of, of the enemies because they gather them, they take them as slaves. They gather women, they take them as their wives and to do all these things. But uh, by God's grace, uh, we managed to do our uh, education in South Sudan. That is where I had also my uh, mission training and that's where my heart changed. This is where God, God built me up there and he strengthened me. This is where I could experience God. I experienced God, and this is where I got the healing. Uh, the bitterness that I have for the, uh, the people in the North, the people who have been uh, oppressing us, it, my attitude changed. I just felt like, uh, and I had that passion, not only to give education, and just to help them, just to work with kids, and that's where I love so much, to get those kids. To, to feel that love, to bring them out of that situation, to help them as they grow and as they transform. Adam, may I say something? They are the reason Lift Up the Vulnerable can exist. You know, that to participate in effective change making in lawless lands, you need the ones, the leaders that have the passion to see transformation. They have life experiences. They have, by pain, they've lived the life that these kids have lived and therefore can be so much more effective in sharing hope, sharing love, sharing another way because they're, mo they're role models for the new generation that we're raising up together. They're the ones that everyone's looking to and saying, look, look at Peter, look at Ezekiel, look at James Lualatak, who's our, other, our third leader. They're the ones that have turned pain into compassion. And they're the ones that are the effective change makers because change has to happen from within. It can't be some outside ideas that come in to see change really take place. Change has to be through empowered Indigenous leaders who are utilizing their experiences, their expertise, and their resources to care for the vulnerable in these locations. So just listening to them again, Peter and Ezekiel's stories just reminds me yet again of, of why this is so important and so uh, effective and the, the lives that they're participating in transforming and just the generative nature of when you've been transformed by love, how that expands throughout you. you. Can't hold it back. You have to share it and see transformation take place. I think that's an excellent point, Audrey, that the families that they're helping, they clearly would have and do have a respect for these guys, knowing that they have lived through the kind of pain and turmoil and uncertainty that the families are currently going through. There's something to be said for the pain and the, the rough things that we go through in our lives because when, when those things happen, it does give us the ability to help others in a new and very tangible way. Now you think about these guys' stories, 
Peter and Ezekiel and all that they've lived through. And yet here they are. It's a story of redemption. Here they are all these years later, able to take their understanding of that kind of pain and uncertainty and frustration and bitterness and then being able to help others and also not just get them to safety, which is absolutely important. But I think also a big part of their role is to help the people with things like bitterness. And Ezekiel was talking about this. I want to ask Peter real quick, and I want you to, to consider that the people listening right now around the world, and I'm excited and, and very pleased to say that we have listeners and viewers from all around the world. And they've all had very different lives. They've all faced different challenges throughout their lives. But it's a part of the human experience to struggle with bitterness when things happen to you that maybe weren't fair and there was pain inflicted on you, so on and so forth. What would you say to our brothers and sisters, Peter, around the world who might right now be struggling in their own lives with bitterness? Yeah, thank you. There are things that can happen in life. Of course, people can go through traumatic situations and bad experiences, but uh, you have to get into a different perspective because what I went through in life, it was very tough, yes, but also, I know God is there with all the struggles that I went through, God is there. And that's why I got comforted. I got encouraged because I know my life was worse, was bad, but now it is okay. I got fulfillment in the word of God. And that's why I can deal with whatever bitterness, whatever things that went through my life. But if it was without God's word, I think I would be struggling up to now with a bitterness because Christ is, is the answer for all the struggles that went through. And I can forgive the people that have inflicted the pain in my life. Those who took the arms and fought my people and killed my people, I still have an obligation to forgive them. Because if I don't forgive them, it is me who is going to suffer. And I will be incapacitated. I will not have the ability to continue with the purpose that is in my life. So I will be handicapped internally. And I want to move forward and leave what had happened in my life as in the past but I have to hope for the best for my future and the future of my country, the future of my communities and the vulnerable children of my country. I'm emotional even just listening to these guys, the sense of peace and strength that they convey, knowing what they've been through and knowing the fact that their life is still uh, confronted with very real danger. And yet they are serving others and they're doing so with peace and strength and forgiveness and all these very, very powerful concepts, things that many of us struggle with for our entire life. And I think there's something to be taken from their stories. And I hope that as listeners and viewers have 
heard the stories today. They'll reflect on their own lives in this way. But Audrey, what else is left before we wrap the show today? I think what all three of us, Peter, Ezekiel, and I, have come to believe through our lives is that when we empower people who are vulnerable, we will transform the world. And we have seen that, you know, in even just their stories, and they're perpetuating that in in their communities and in this world. And I personally want to be a part of a perpetual movement and motion towards healing, hope, and transformation. And where children are not exploited for their vulnerabilities and where we can be a part of saving lives, restoring hope and transforming communities through them. And we, of course, would love for more partners to join us in this mission. We'd love for you to learn about Lift Up the Vulnerable by visiting our website, sharing our information with your community. This grace and this love, we call Lift Up the Vulnerable love. This love is contagious, and we want more and more people to know that they can be a part of transforming this world by empowering the vulnerable. So join us. We need you. Um, Peter, Ezekiel, and I don't do this work alone. We have a whole collective network that uh, joins us, to, and we're stronger because this whole collective global network is uh, playing their part in the journey. So find us and contact me and ask questions and Get on board. We need you. Absolutely. I highly recommend that you look them up online, find out more about them. Liftupthevulnerable.org. You'll find them on Facebook. You'll find them on Instagram. You will find them on Twitter. So follow them there and share their information out. That's one of the ways that you can help is to just get on board with, with what they're doing and share it so that more and more people know. And of course, reach out to them in my my request is that if if this has touched you in some way, let them know. Encourage them. And if you feel like you should be involved financially, then you should be involved financially, and they can help you get signed up for that. Thank you all for joining the program. Be encouraged. What you're doing absolutely matters. Thank you so much, Adam. This has been fantastic and so so thankful for Peter and Ezekiel. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I know it's the middle of the night over there, so get some rest. And I'm sure tomorrow you've got lots to do. Thanks again. And we will talk to you both again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo. Beyond status quo.